0: Okay, wait, if you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of?
1: 69, dudes!
0: are back! Back to the bins! Yes, sorry about the uh, long hiatus, folks, but we are back and this is episode 69, dude! dude. <laughs> I am Scott Gardner. And
2: I am Ted... <laughs> I can't even remember his last name. What was Ted's last name?
0: Oh, it was... Uh... Theodore Logan Esquire. Is that what it was? Yeah,
2: Theodore Logan. I am Michael Bailey Esquire.
0: (laughs) Esquire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. It was something, something Esquire and then Ted Theodore Logan. That's what it was. So what was the other one? It was... Bill Bill S Preston Esq. That yes, was it. That's Damn, it. I can't believe I can remember all that. <laughs> I like that movie. I love that movie.
2: I like Bill and Ted's I, and apparently the second one is more like weird, which makes me want to see it, but uh no, Oh, you've I, never seen it? No, I haven't, but I have very fond memories of Bill and Ted's
0: actually. I I highly recommend the second one as well. Not quite a, it, it's it suffers from like ghost Ghostbusters syndrome. It's like not quite as good as the first one, but it's still definitely worth a viewing if you you know if you're a fan. So why yeah. am
2: I strippings with goo? Oh. <laughs> one of my favorite lines from Ghostbuster two at the end with Peter S. Nicholas. Yes. <laughs> Whatever that dude's name was.
0: I love that movie.
2: Fastest Tangent and Back to the Bins ever. <laughs>
0: So anyway, it has been a long hiatus, and we apologize, yes. but uh, yes. we 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 feel like we've more than more than likely gotten our shit together, and we are back.
2: Yeah, we we really at some point have to play Luke Jack and Eddie's thing that he sent us that yes. I keep getting to put it together because I feel so bad right now.
0: You should, you. Ter-
2: yeah, I'm a terrible human being.
0: You are <laughs> despicable, despicable bag of skin over there. But uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from.
2: I'm like a Skeksis, but fatter.
0: Gelfling. But we, we will have, uh, we will actually have some some news sometime fairly soon that we'll be sharing with you about. Uh, You'll, you'll be getting more back to the bins for your buck here shortly. Yes, you will. And, uh, and we're thrilled about the announcement that we'll be making pretty soon because for a time it looked like it was going to be the other way around. Like you were going to be getting far less back to the bins for your money, for your, for your month, but, uh. For,
2: for your free download (laughs) dollars. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh my God! You know what? You just you just brought up something that. Well, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually cover this on another uh, on another one of our shows at some point. But yeah, on that subject of uh, you you know what? You're not paying a thing for this. <laughs> but that will be a that will be a digression for another episode. But um, anyway, like I keep saying, we are back, so we're going to dive straight into this because part of our. Uh, our commitment to being back is that we are really going to try to stay a little more focused, a little tighter with these episodes and, uh, try to keep them a little more, uh, what would you say, Mike, a little more belt tightening type of thing with this?
2: Less tangential, more, uh, more to the point, kind of like, you know, this is kind of a light, delicious snack of a podcast. (laughs) Unlike something like tales of the JSA, which is something you want to sit down and have a beer with or, you know what I atmosphere.
0: think we should do? I think but. we should just go ahead and yank the curtain right back and tell folks what we're doing here. Okay. That, we're, that's it's up to you. We're using tail, or excuse me, back to the bins. Literally, we we are, as we sit down to record this episode tonight and, and we're planning out our, our, our comeback strategy, as it were, what we've decided to do, because for a time it seriously looked like back to the bins was just going to have to, you know, basically go away. And... We've decided that, you know, we really do love this show. We know that you guys love the show. And so we decided we, we've got to figure out a strategy to save back to the bins. So what we basically have decided to do is that Mike and I are going to use, every time we sit down at the computer to record an episode of Tales, we're going to take about, say what, about half hour, 40 minutes at tops, and Somewhere we're going to use that as our warm-up time to do back to the bins. So that's, that's bit, cause what we usually do when we sit down to record an episode of Tales, we end up bullshitting around on the computer for about half hour, 40 minutes before we get actually get started recording the show proper. So uh-huh. we figure, why not just use that time a little more, um, Productively, productively, yeah, exactly. And and use it to actually knock out something that the listeners would enjoy. So there you go. So if it sounds a little rough around the edges, that's why, because it's basically practice for the show that comes on later. So <laughs> so that's your uh, look behind the curtain. As it
2: It's also for the people that downloaded episode of Back to the Bins and go, God damn it, this thing's like an hour and a half long. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> of wall-to-wall karaoke music. Awesome. Yes. So, So, what? so are we are going to dive right in then? Yes,
0: I was just going to say, let's dive right in, and you are up to bat first.
2: Alrighty, righty, I have a DC book this time around. I actually stretched far back, farther back than uh, I usually do on this show, and I am going to cover a book that I bought at Dragon Con this year for two bucks. It's in insanely good condition. And this book is Superman pa- Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen, number 136, Ooh. cover date March 1971. It's got a uh, what looks like a Neil Adams cover, because that looks like a Neil Adams Superman. Though, it's oddly enough, the Jimmy Olsen-looking creature looks kind of like a Gil Kane drawing, so it's really weird. But um, it says, Jimmy Olsen, the DN Alien. Extra the Newsboy Legion plus a Golden Age superhero reborn, and uh, they have the this green looking Jimmy Olsen. It's like Jimmy Olsen got belted by gamma rays, and he's just knocking the crap out of Superman. And in the background, you got the Newsboy Legion uh, with Flip a Dipper. God, I cannot say that name without <laughs> laughing. Uh, saying, "Not even Superman can stop the giant Jimmy." And I just want someone to Photoshop hat right on the end of that. This issue was written and drawn by Jack Kirby and Jesus Christ, you can tell. Uh, That's not an insult because I like Jack Kirby's art, but he's got one of those very distinctive styles that when you open the book, it's like, oh, that's Kirby. And it says, deep in a federal underground complex known as The Project, in quotes, the Newsboy Legion responds to strange and fearful sounds of violence. Begin the saga of the DN aliens. It says,
1: wow!
2: And basically, the Newsboy Legions come in on the giant green Jimmy Olsen-looking creature. I will call him the uh, Jolly Green Jimmy Olsen, because he looks kind of like the Jolly Green Giant as well. Fighting with the Guardian. And the Newsboy Legion and Jimmy Olsen, who has been basically hanging out with them for a couple issues now, are really surprised to find that it is the Guardian fighting there because uh, the Newsboy Legion, who are basically clones of their fathers, uh, the original Newsboy Legion, would tell them about the Guardian and now they're actually seeing him in action. And they're also very surprised because apparently the reason why Jolly Green Jimmy is green is because he's made of synthetic kryptonite and it's knocked Superman out. So we get to see the Guardian and the Jolly Green Jimmy fight, and I'm a very big fan of Jack Kirby fight scenes. They're very dynamic, they're very powerful, you actually feel the violence, and basically the Newsboy Legion are watching and going, Jesus, he's really fighting him good! So Jimmy goes to see if Superman's okay, and... In the time that it takes Superman to kind of come to his senses, the Jolly Green Jimmy has grabbed the original Jimmy, and Jolly Green is really confused because Jimmy looks like him, and he's like, well, you guys are trying to fool me, and the fight begins anew. The Guardian and Superman team up. Superman basically puts his foot down on the matter, literally, and that cracks the floor. Superman is able to save Jimmy as the Guardian goes to fight Jolly Green Jimmy, but suddenly there's this giant explosion on Jolly Green Jimmy's head, and everyone's really confused. They don't know what's going on, and after investigating, Superman's like, well, it's this guy, and he holds up what looks like something that's a little smaller than Green Army Men, you know, the plastic ones you used to dip in gasoline when you were a kid?
0: (laughs) I know Um, them well.
2: And basically, this is a true uh, like a a brigade of of uh, miniature soldiers, all made to look like scrapper, and they've been called in to help take Jolly Green Jimmy down. And it's just really freaking weird because you see all these little tiny soldiers paratrooping in, and they form this this gun that sprays Jolly Green Jimmy with this like coolant that's as strong as steel. So the Newsboy Legion watch as the soldiers uh, get back on their vehicle and go away and they're left basically saying, hey, it's the Guardian. He's awesome. So then we cut to Simeon and Mokari, two characters I really don't care for in the post-crisis world and there isn't really anything here in the pre-crisis world to make me like them here. But (laughs) they're getting their asses chewed out by Darkseid because they sent Uh, The Jolly Green Jimmy in to destroy the project, and Darkseid's like, what the hell were you thinking? You, You know, you need to have a plan, so next time I want you to get your shit together and do this right. So Simeon and Mokari talk about this, they go and see a giant model of the project to better plan their next attack. And they basically think that all of the creatures that they have created are beasts of burden, but there's some that could might be used as weapons, and they scheme and they plan. So we cut back to the project where the fathers of the Newsboy Legion step forward and explain that the Guardian that they see is actually a clone of the original. Jim Harper... Had been injured in battle, he was about to die, and he summoned the Newsboy Legion to his bedside and basically said, "You know, you know, I, you gotta carry on my fight." So they cloned him, just as they cloned all of the other Newsboy Legions, including the new the new guy, Flip a Dipper. <laughs> can't say it without laughing. God is a silly freaking name. Meanwhile, Superman is taking Jimmy on a tour of the project and it's really kind of weird because there is a control center where it's their communications hub and all of the people working there are clones of Gabby one of the the Gabby one of the Newsboy Legion and he shows him the differences in the beings that are created at the project. There are the Harry's which were a kind of a hippie group. They came up They came out of this group known as the Step-Ups. So you have the humans, uh, the normals, the Step-Ups, and the aliens. And we even get this really cool Kirby shot of uh, of Superman showing Jimmy like a model of how they map out the DNA. And this is when Jimmy meets Double X. I don't think this is Double X's first appearance, but it might be. I'm not familiar enough with this run of Jimmy Olsen to say that. Uh, But he meets... He meets Double X, and he's all like, wow, you're really freaking weird, but it's a real pleasure to meet you. And Superman basically ends his and Jimmy's end of the issue by saying, you know, uh, Jimmy says, Superman, do you realize what weird and perhaps dangerous channels are being probed here? And Superman says, I'm thinking of our hidden enemy. What could he be doing with the stolen human cells? Because that's how they were able to create the Jolly Green Jimmy. They stole some cells that the project had taken from the original. Meanwhile, back at Simeon and Mokari's place, they watch as a bunch of eggs start hatching, and one egg has four arms coming out of it. And it says, need we say more? Watch for the sequel to this exciting new development. Watch for the four-armed terror. And I gotta say, it's really weird that I chose to read this, as we are basically seeing the Carl Kessel redo of this, and time and time again, over it from crisis right. to crisis.
0: I was just gonna. I was just thinking. Didn't you guys just cover this not long ago? Because one of the two of you, and I want to say it was Jeffrey, um, came up with something. You know, I've always pronounced uh, Macari the same way, Macari, and wasn't it Jeffrey that said, "You know, I think it's supposed to be mockery." And that actually makes more sense. It probably yeah. is supposed to be mockery, but it's funny that you and I have both pronounced it the same way, <laughs> independ- you know, completely independent of one another all these years. That's really strange.
2: But um, I can't say that I hated this issue. Uh, I'm kind of like you. as I, I don't dislike the Kirby influences on the post-crisis Superman But when they focus on them too much, it gets to be like kind of annoying for some reason. Mm -hmm. But reading the original and seeing where they got it from, it's like, okay, I can see why somebody would get into this because it is really freaking weird. It's just strange. The project of the Kirby verse of the original, you know, Jimmy Olsen comics is so much crazier than the project of the Superman era that I am used to more to the point that the post-crisis project feels kind of like the X-Files where this feels like some weird 60s series that didn't last too long that had the same type of concept. Right. It's like the difference between Time Tunnel and Quantum Leap (laughs) is the best way I can really describe it. The art, I like Jack Kirby's art. I really do. I'm, I'm not a devotee but I have to say that his guardian looked a little off here, but the battle scenes were freaking epic. And I really got to know what in the hell Kirby was on at this point to come up with such really bizarre concepts as a bank of communication people who are all clones of the guy that talks a lot and the little miniature army brigade of scrappers that just come out of the sky and use miniature weapons to take down the jolly green jimmy it's it's really strange but i got to tell you it was a lot of fun it was just a, it was just really goofy and this is a really early appearance of dark side in here too cuz he was only he, he up
0: in what like 133 or something like that uh
2: 134 so he 34. popped up two issues before this one cuz 133 was the first one which i do i have a copy of that um and that's what I thought this one was for some reason, because I got the numbering mixed up, which is why I got it for $2. But I have to say that at some point, I'm really going to have to track down these Jimmy Olsen issues and just read them on their own, not not trying to tie them into current continuity, not trying to read them as part of the Superman continuity at that time, because I think it's very fair to say that the brave new Superman that Julius Schwartz was busy developing is completely different from the Superman that's in this book. Right. Uh, and this Superman is completely different from the Silver Age Superman. So it's really bizarre, but kind of cool. Have you ever read any of the, the Kirby, Jimmy Olsen stuff?
0: Uh, I have. Um, and I'm trying to remember how I read it because I don't own any of the issues. So I don't know if that was something I read in CBRs or if I read it in reprints or what. I don't remember. And I wanted to read it because... I, you know, I I felt it was an important chapter of Superman's life that I really didn't know anything about, yet I had strong opinions about. It. And I was like, you know, I can't really have an opinion on something that I haven't read. You know, it's, it's kind of shooting your mouth off, you know, being uninformed. So I went and I read it, and I enjoy a lot of aspects of it. But it's funny, you see, I enjoy it in the context of where it is but the post crisis stuff where they bring all this back I really don't like that stuff at all because I I like my superman you know that that version of superman the the post crisis you know the burn superman I, I like him more, a little more grounded like like he was during the time that burn was doing him so That was to me the beginning of chipping away at that version a little bit when they started to really get into fantastical storylines. You know, I remember there was an issue of, of, uh, Man of Steel where he fought like a, it was like a giant, like whale person or something that came from cadmus or something i was just like okay this is exactly the kind of superman i don't like so it's you know i i can live with it during this area because you know or this era i mean because it was you know you just accepted some of the sillier trappings a little more easily and a little more readily but post-crisis it seemed to me like they were trying to serious up DC a little bit and I appreciated that. So when some of the sillier stuff started to come back, I resented it.
2: Well, this was the original material. And right, what right. what mm-hmm. what we were reading in the 80s and 90s was the the writers and creators and all that th- that liked that material and wanted to adapt it into the new world. Right. So you can accept the original a little more because it's not something that was being figured out into the regular continuity. Mm -hmm. You know, this was just Kirby kind of off in his own world. And I haven't read a whole lot of the fourth world. I really need to. I uh, I have about four or five issues of those. Remember in the 80s when DC reprinted a bunch of Like classic stories, like Green Arrow, Green Lantern, and New Gods, and Dead Man, Mm -hmm. in those really in the nice Baxter paper and all that. Uh I have about four or five issues of the New Gods one, and I feel like I should read it because a lot of the characters I ended up liking, such as Dan Turpin, came from that era, and I'd like to see what the original was like compared to the Dan Turpin that I came to know and, and love as his irascible self, you know, the guy that fell in love with Maggie Sawyer. Good luck. <laughs> but,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me know how that works out for you.
2: <laughs> How's that cold shower going? Is it going good, Dan? <laughs> I hope it is. But,
0: uh, no, I was I always hoping it. that he would be able to get both her and, uh, what was her name? Toby. Toby. Yeah. <laughs> Where Damn, he, man. <laughs> You work kind out of a little bit of a, uh, you know, double fillet of fish action going on there, you know what I'm saying?
2: Wow!
0: Anyway, continue.
2: <laughs> no, because now I'm thinking fish and tartar sauce, and it brings up an image oh. I don't really want in my head. No, um, <laughs> no I liked it. I, I, I liked it a lot. I'm glad I read it, and I'm and I'm definitely going to be at, at Dragon Con searching for more. I doubt I'll be able to get the first appearance of Darkseid for $2. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You never know. You could come across one that isn't completely whipped to shit. That's still in pretty good shape. That's like five bucks. It's like, oh yeah, I'll take that. That's nice to have in the collection. Uh, Plus, you, you, as I've recently discovered, even the crappiest book looks good in a brand new bag and board.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> I, I will definitely agree with that. I've got a lot of books that I'll pull them out of the plastic. Like I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I wish I could read you through the plastic, because you look so much prettier inside the bed.
2: Is this, is this like you, you see the girl across the bar, and everything's going great until you get right up close to her? Is that what you're saying?
0: Or you wake up next to her the next morning after you've sobered <laughs> up, and you're like, ah! You're not Miss April 1982. <laughs> um, <laughs> you did say this was issue 136, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, that is the uh, first appearance of Double X.
2: Okay, very good. Awesome. I own the first appearance of Double X. I now feel accomplished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, are we ready for uh, round two? Yeah, round two. (laughs) Fight! fight. (laughs) Ding, ding. All right, mine is a giant sized extravaganza issue. Oh, wow. Wow. How about that? All right, so this is, uh, we're going back to 1993 for this one, Uh, February of 93 as a matter of fact, for a book that frankly, you know, (laughs) I never ever expected to review an issue of this particular character, but uh, there you go, you know, chosen by the computer completely at random, so there you go. This is Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, number 50. Beautiful cover on this one. And I mean that, too, by Jeff uh, Isherwood, which I got to admit, this is the reason I kept this. Um, original cover price on this, baby, is a whopping $2.95, which was pretty expensive for nineteen dollars um, I'm pretty sure... That the only reason I own this is not long ago, a few months back, my dad uh, when I went up to visit my mom and dad presented me with a trunk that he had bought somewhere like at a flea market or yard sale or something, literally like a steamer trunk full of comic books, and he was like, here, awesome. yeah, I bought these, you know maybe you 'll like them you know I bought them with you and mine kind of thing he's like, "Here you can have them, and this was in there, and you know i'm i'm a I got to admit, I'm a judge a book by its cover kind of guy. If it's got an awesome cover on it, you know, and it's a comic, I'm more than likely going to hold on to it, you know, even if I don't ever intend to read it. Like, I didn't really ever intend to read this. I just love the cover. It's uh, Doc Strange, and he's doing his, you know, imitating Spider-Man's web shooting thing with his hands, and he's, you know, summoning summoning something or other. The
2: hoary hosts of Haga. Yeah, there you go. kind of stuff.
0: But it's got this... um, Now, I had to look this up to see what this was actually called. This was back in the gimmicky covers phase, and something I found said that this is called foil graphics. And what it is, is there's a uh, spell or something coming out of Doctor Strange's hands, and that part is all foil. And then in Etched into the foil are these, like, spirograph shapes and stuff. So when you move it in the light, it makes, like, rainbow patterns and all kinds of... It's really cool looking, though. I mean, really nice cover, and I love uh, Isherward's art. You know, his, his artwork of uh, Doctor Strange looks really cool. And then up at the very top, it says, Guest Starring, Ghost Rider, Hulk, Silver Surfer. So I thought, hmm, well, you know, if it's got more than just Doctor Strange, then maybe, you know, it'll be pretty good. So anyway, written by um, Len Kaminsky, who, again, I like Len Kaminsky's stuff. And uh, the story is entitled The Heart of Darkness. And, you know, this is going to be a really simple issue to uh, to synopsize because here's essentially what happens. We open to the first page and we see Doctor Strange in his, whatever they call this spectral form or whatever. And astral form. I astral that form, cool. that's it, yeah he pulls up alongside ghost rider and this is the newer ghost rider the one um with Danny the, catch yeah with the, the spiky jacket and all that the really cool looking one i think mm-hmm. he pulls up alongside he says hey need your help buddy and then uh the hulk and this is really great the hulk is sitting and this is when he was in his intelligent hulk phase and you turn the page and if you weren't if you weren't alive at the time of when the thing he's watching on TV came out, you probably would not at all understand what it is he's watching, but he's looking at a TV and there's a silver guy on the TV with fire behind him and a thing at the bottom that, you know, has the little musical notes in it and it says, ba ba, ba ba bump. And it took me a minute of looking at that and I realized he's watching Terminator 2. It's that on the screen. The silver guy is the T2. Dun, 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 and and dun, it's dun, supposed dun, 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 to be, dun. yeah, ba-ba-ba-bum, yeah. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. And that actually plays in later on. You're way late in the issue when, when everything's resolved. Um, the Hulk turns to Silver Surfer and says, hey, if you've got a minute, there's a movie I think you'd get a kick out of. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Because well, there
2: the- was there was that movie around that time that somebody made of the Silver Surfer with that kind of special effects. So Oh, really? Yeah, there was like a test reel done. Oh, wow. Uh that was using basically the same type of technology that Terminator 2 did. Uh, so, it's actually kind of pretty cool.
0: I never heard about that. I'd like to see that. And um,
2: I so didn't mean like, to derail you.
0: I'm no, sorry. no, not at all. He uh, so he does the same thing to the Hulk. He says, uh, "Hey, Bruce, need your help." Hulk's like, "Hey, no problem." He gets up. There's a great panel of him taking off his his robe and revealing his. You know, this is when he was wearing the the wife beater and the brown pants. This is pretty cool. And then we see uh, the Silver Surfer, and he's whipping around in space on his surfboard. And again, Doctor Strange appears to him and says, Noren Rad, need your help. So he's basically assembled a little team of defenders. And they all meet up with Doctor Strange at his uh, Greenwich Village apartment or or townhouse, whatever this thing is. And this is where it kind of degenerates into why I don't really like Doctor Strange. He has assembled all these people to tell them that um, his powers are on the Fritz and the Dread Dormammu is threatening Earth. Now, I know jack shit about Doctor Strange, essentially, but I do know one thing. He fights the Dread Dormammu. That's it. So in my mind, it's he's kind of suffers from Superman versus Lex Luthor or Batman versus the Joker syndrome, whereas I swear to God, every dr strange story i've ever seen he fights the dread Dormamu, and it's like damn dude do you not have any other villains so anyway they're all like all right you can count on us let's go kick this guy's ass so dr strange has just enough of his natural abilities left that he can summon a portal and take them to Dormamu's dimension or whatever and, uh, you know, the, the cosmic planes are in alliance and all this shit to where, you know, it's, it, it's not that much of a strain on him. And they go there and I actually do kind of like the way it's shown because it's, it's doing that like floaty weird islands of reality thing that I don't really care for, but it's not the really trippy psychedelic bunch of, you know, weird shapes thing that like, uh, like Ditko would do. You know, I know that a lot of people are really into that, but I, I just never really liked that stuff. It was just a little too, too trippy for me. It's just not, not my thing. And instantly they are attacked by the mindless ones. And the, the one part of the issue I really didn't like, I just thought it was a cheap shot is uh, Doc Strange says, "Here they come, the mindless ones," and the Hulk says, "Dan Quayle supporters here." And I was like, "Dude, you know you, that—that's—that's that's a little uncalled for." I thought, but that anyway, was—that
2: was—that was a fair joke in that era, though. Yeah,
0: I guess, but it just kind of—I I thought it was a little out of place. But the rest of the Hulk's lines in this are actually very funny, and uh, he, he's got—he's definitely got the best lines of the issue. So it kind of turns into your standard, you know. All right, you guys that are the guest stars, you all run interference for me while I go do the big important mission, which is basically what happens. But there's a little bit of a twist, which is um, Doc Strange, because his own powers are—he's he, basically been diminished. He he can no longer use uh, incantations or or um, invocations. He he has to rely on whatever innate power he has, which, you know, is nothing compared to the power of Dormammu. So what he does is he uses his own power and he pulls the spirit of vengeance out of Ghost Rider and into himself. And then he dives into Dormammu and battles him from within. And that's actually a pretty neat concept. I thought that that was really cool. So in the meantime, while he's doing that um, the Silver Surfer is fighting the Mindless Ones, and Hulk is beating the shit out of this giant. He, he looks like a, like a monstrous version of the thing, basically. He's some sort of like guardian of the gateway or something like that. And, uh, there's a great part where, uh, <laughs> where Doctor Strange says, Would you mind smiting our towering adversary? And the Hulk says, Typecast again. He goes all right. Hulk smite, <laughs> and he belts the guy, which I thought was pretty funny. So in the end, um, Doc Strange goes inside Dormammu, and they have like a, kind of a Professor Xavier esque battle inside the the soul of Dormammu, basically. And they take him out. They take him down. They actually are able to knock him down. And there's a really big page that I feel is, I think it's an homage, honestly. I think it's supposed to be an homage to that issue of uh, Fantastic Four by Byrne, where it shows uh, Galactus stumble, and it says Galactus falls. There's the same sort of thing here. There's a full-page splash of all the heroes fighting Dormammu, and he stumbles, and it says uh, Dormammu falls. It's, It's the same exact kind of thing. So he's laying on the ground... And they tell him to yield, you are defeated. And while they're all standing around congratulating himself, suddenly he comes back in this giant form. And it, it was kind of like the holy shit moment of the issue. And you realize, wow, they they don't stand a chance against this guy. They haven't defeated him. And they pulled out every stop that they had. And he says, you know, insignificant mortals, you have not tasted one-tenth of my power. But then you turn the page and he's like, but if you want this dimension so damn bad, you can have it. I'm going away. And he leaves, and I'm like, well, that sucks. But I kind of wondered how they were going to pull this all <laughs> off, because we're, we're basically at the end of the story anyway. So he he really does just kind of concede the battle and go. Peace. Hey, yeah, exactly. And I was like, well, that was kind of a letdown ending. So, you know, they freed the whatever people live in this dimension. They freed those people. Um, Doctor Strange freed his girlfriend Clea, which was the main reason why he wanted to go to this dimension and battle Dormammu in the first place. But she says, You know what? This dimension needs me now because you know Dormammu trashed it. So, you know, thanks for helping, but uh, I'm gonna stay behind. So, poor Doctor Strange, he's still not getting any when he gets home. So, they get back to their own dimension, and uh, Doctor Strange, he's pretty wiped out from you know having expended so much personal energies to do this whole thing. So Silver Surfer agrees to, uh, you know, return everybody to where Doc Strange got them from. So the Hulk and uh, and Silver Surfer actually leave together. And there's that little line I said earlier about, you know, he says, uh, "If you've got time, when we get to the Mount, I have a movie to show you." Which I, I got a kick out of that. And uh, Ghost Rider drives away on his flaming motorcycle and everything. And the part of the issue I actually liked the best was the cliffhanger ending. We see. Uh, You know, Doc Strange, he's completely wiped out on the last page. And he goes and he falls asleep in his armchair and he wakes up to this racket outside. And outside are all these people holding placards and they're all protesting and stuff. And a guy is on a megaphone and he's saying, an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. Our mission is clear. We must not suffer a sorcerer to live. And the people are all holding signs saying things like, just say no to the devil and cast out the black magician be gone Satan, and there's even a guy wearing a button that says, could it be Satan? So I got a kick out of that. that
2: that's interesting that they yeah. use the phrase, thou shall not suffer a sorcerer to live. Yeah. Uh, as the the supposed biblical quote is, thou shall not suffer a witch to live. Right. So. <laughs> uh, and Rachel, my wife, just pointed out that the actual translation is well-poisoner, not witch. Huh. So,
0: I thought that this was neat, though, and there actually was, I missed it as I was flipping back through the issue, but at some point, oh, here it is, it's as, uh, as Doctor Strange is standing and he's watching everybody leave after the end of the battle, he says, uh, though Earth may remain forever unaware of her secret defenders, and I thought hmm, where is this fall in relation to Secret Defenders? When I got to the end of the issue, in the letters page, it actually gives the announcement of um, Roy Thomas will, uh, it says, we'll be chronicling um, a new book, uh, an all new book called Secret Defenders. So I thought, okay, this is kind of a, a prelude to that. And as much as, you know, like I said earlier, I don't really like Doctor Strange. I actually was a fan of Secret Defenders. I liked the idea. You are the
2: first person I have ever heard admit to that. By but, the
0: way, I mean, I liked the concept. I will admit that the execution was not very good, but I liked the idea because you know I was always a, a, a fan of of an idea of basically let's take. A piece of paper with you know every character in our universe. Throw it into a hat and draw names out and make a team up book of that. And that's kind of what Secret Defenders felt like to me. Was like, you know, you had some wacky ass team ups in that. You know, teams made of just such strange assemblances of of characters. So, like I say, I, I, I like the concepts, but yeah, the the execution.
2: Not so much the execution. Yeah could have been better that makes sense i mean uh that kind of thing comics are rife with that sort of thing yes think about it there's always going to be the thing that you know everybody really really likes the idea of it but when they actually get around to actually doing it it's like what the hell is this right so
0: but but you know that said though you know i'll still defend the book there were still some good issues you know the very first story arc was pretty good and there was one that uh I bought it for the art, and then strangely the art ended up being a, a real big disappointment. But the story was pretty good where, let me see, it was Cap, Thor, and it must have been Iron Man, although I don't remember Iron Man being in it. But it was, remember for a time there in the 90s, there were several top-tier characters that had a doppelganger. You know, like Cap had U.S. Agent, and Thor yeah. had uh Thunderstrike. Thunderstrike. And it must have been Iron Man and War Machine because it's the only other ones I can think of off the top of my head, and they were a team of secret defenders. You know, like the originals and then their copies. You know, and interesting. That, I, I don't remember anything about the story other than I thought that it was a good story, but I bought it because of the the artist who was on it, and I'm drawing a blank on who uh, Tom Grindberg, I think. Sounds
2: familiar. I, I can't. I won't say that absolutely for sure, but it sounds like. About what it should be uh,
0: you know my my memory on this is sketchy, so I could be wrong, but I think this was at a time where he had stepped away from comics for a bit, and this was like the first time I had seen him in a long time, so I snapped it up because his name was attached to it. And then I ended up being really disappointed in the art. It was just, it was like a pale shadow of his original stuff. So I
2: hate it when that happens. Yeah. Apparently, I'm going through puberty again. But I still, I hate <laughs> it when that happens. So.
0: But that's all I got. Oh, that that
2: sounded awesome. And unfortunately, while you were doing all of that, I was shuffling through. I've I've moved my o- into a new office area recently, and I was struggling to see if I had those that issue on on a disc, so I could kind of follow along with you, which I like to do. And sadly, my Doctor Strange digital collection only goes up to uh, the last issue of the 80s series. Uh. Though I do own like almost the entire run of that Doctor Strange series in general. I bought it years ago when I went on a buying binge of Marvel books and just picked up like almost the whole thing for like 25 bucks so
0: i mean it, you know it, in short because i don't know that I, I made my feelings about the issue plain or not um i didn't hate it you know and and you know i mean i don't generally hate dr strange stories when i read them but i kind of always walk away from them kind of indifferent going yeah you know that was all right um
2: it was I eager-
0: And, you know, this one was kind of the same thing. I walked away from it at the end going, eh, this was okay. I don't know that I'd necessarily run right out and get the next issue, but it was fun. You know, it it was, it was standard comics, you know, of its time, and it's definitely what I consider to be standard Doctor Strange, because every Doctor Strange story I've ever read feels exactly like this issue. So it didn't, (laughs) it didn't do anything original or anything dynamic, but damn, I sure liked the art. And, uh, you know, the inclusion of, um, you know, basically the defenders. You know that didn't hurt either. So, yeah, you know, not a not a stellar issue. Not an issue. I'd tell you to run right out and buy if you can find it. But at the same rate, you know, if you chance across it for, you know, a quarter, fifty cents, yeah, it, it's worth it for the cover alone.
2: You can do it. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I apologize. I'm in a goofy ass mood tonight. Ah. Well, that was a lot of fun. You want to knock out an email or two before we wrap this bad boy up? And let's do that. Get on with that. Okay, let's see what we got here. Click, click. Uh, let's go back to a Jose Rivera email from May 12th. Sweet. May 12th. <laughs> it says, music episode. So this was the superhero score thing you did the week we couldn't do an episode.
0: <laughs> the says, lazy episode, as I like to call it. Actually, that, that turned out to be much more work than if we, I had just recorded something.
2: <laughs> Which makes me laugh. It says, hey guys, thanks so much for doing an episode devoted to superhero scores. It's something, it's something so special about superhero films that hardly gets mentioned outside of Superman. For me, growing up, scores were so awesome because they were the themes that got stuck in your head to where when you, played it, when you were a kid playing with your toys, you played those themes in your head as you have your action figures swoop in and save the day. One of my all-time favorite scores to a film that involved a superhero masked hero is the score to The Shadow. Mm -hmm. Most people didn't enjoy the film, but I did, and the score to that really set up the mood and atmosphere, the scene on the bridge where we first see The Shadow, is one of my favorite pieces of music ever. I love that movie. Yep. Honorable mentions for me would be to a comic film no one really liked, and a theme I would have loved to have had an actual theme for a hero, the score to Judge Dredd was one of my favorites, despite the film being what it was. The score had a nice mix of very grand and very dangerous. Everyone loved the trailer theme, too. If I could go back in time and borrow a theme from a great movie and gone to the future to a producer here and said, Here, use this. It's perfect. I would have taken the theme from The Last Starfighter and used it as a theme for Green Lantern. Huh. You'll be a I loved The Last Starfighter <laughs> as a kid, the theme is very memorable
0: I think I used that as uh, as the music underneath ROM yes, on, on the show yes. one time
2: And makes me smile every time. However, I always imagined a Green Lantern movie set to that theme. For some reason, there are similarities between the two, but I wish Green Lantern would have what could have the theme for the last Starfighter. Thanks for changing it up, guys. I love the scores and can't wait for the other two installments of this score series. Sincerely, Jose A. Rivera. Thank you, Jose. Thank you very much. And
0: I got to agree. uh, I love the Shadow movie. I don't care what anybody says. That was a a damn good movie. It's a great
2: movie. It's fun. It was... My favorite moment is when uh, the the bad guy has the sailor jump off the Empire State Building. (laughs) And as he's plummeting to the ground and hits one of the buildings, the Shadow comes into the foreground and goes, It's all falling into place. (laughs) I'm like, that's funny. What are the plus I I, I I may not like Alec Baldwin's politics or how he talks to his daughter on the phone but I've never really seen a movie where I didn't like his performance
0: so. uh, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll second that even uh, even the Thomas the Tank engine movie was was bearable because he was in it but uh, I think the the thing that over the years I've come to like the very best about the shadow movie is that Shiwan Khan makes Neelich shoot himself in the face I, I <laughs> I, I really, you know, if he could have come onto Voyager and done that early in the first season, I would have—I would have been a very That's happy. Terrible! God damn! I hate Neelix.
2: Yes, you do. <laughs> you hate Neelix with the fire of a thousand suns. Hate
0: him, make him go away. <laughs> do we have—we have time for another one. I think so. Go ahead, choose one. Let's knock it out. All right, we've got another one from somebody I've never heard of named uh, Jose A. Rivera. And this one says, more responses. It says, hey, guys, after listening to your email episode, I have to say I was very happy. Uh, was it because I had an email read? Sure. But what I'm mainly happy about is the discussion you guys had on various subjects, be it on the cartoon that shall not be named, uh, talking about how much you appreciate the listeners. You guys wanted to know, what do we do when listening to the show? To a point. To a point, yes. (laughs) I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I usually listen to your shows either on my way to work, when I'm at work, when I'm at the gym, or like the episode of Tales of the JSA when I was uh, having one of the worst times in my life, and I heard you read my email uh, to where I pumped my fist in the air at 3 a.m. when I walked the Manhattan streets on my way home. Whenever I've been stressed, whenever I've needed something to pick me up, I turn to your shows. They have an uncanny ability to make me forget what's bothering me and allow me to focus on a hobby that's fun, but also on the conversation of two men who have the same interests I do but aren't afraid to go their own routes with opinions. Oh, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> so do I. That's, that puts a lot of responsibility on us, I think. But
2: <laughs> ah, Nah, it'll be fine. It's all good.
0: He continues, Scott, I agree with the listener who wrote to you telling you that uh, they were glad you didn't like everything. I know there's a lot of people who enjoy riling someone up because they think it's funny. It takes uh, a hell of a lot to remain positive, and I can honestly say you've been doing that with gusto. But those times when you do share your opinion, uh, I'm glad you add why it's not your cup of tea, as you can articulate your point to where, even though I enjoyed a certain movie, I can see... Uh, I can start to see how ridiculous, what the hell, the head is on a certain character? Does that, am I reading that right?
2: Yeah, but I think I think he's mixing up. I think maybe he was talking about, maybe wanting to talk about comics and ended up saying movie. Uh, okay. um, so if you say, oh, if I enjoyed a certain comic, I can see how ridiculous the head is on a character.
0: Um, okay. <laughs> it says, Michael, your additions to the show have been noticeable, but certainly welcome. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times the issues you pick for each episode are comics I've either never heard of or never really given a try, and I love that. I love that this show allows me to take a second look at things I never gave a try and make me want to track these down. It's fun. You've also made uh, had me paying more attention to artists and writers. I know all the men and women who I respect in comics from when I was growing up, but I remember when you mentioned that even if you don't have a book for someone to sign at a con, to go up and uh, thank them for all their hard work. I remember doing this with Gene Cullen a few months ago. He was charging for his autograph, and I didn't have the money, and rather than walk away slightly pissed, I remembered your words and decided to extend extend my hand, telling him how much of a pleasure it was to meet him and thanked him for not only his hard work, but his time. While at first you could see... uh, he really hoped he'd get 20 bucks. he actually seemed appreciative of this and shook my hand thanking me. It's sage advice uh, I think I'll hold on to for years to come. As also, I love that you guys change up the format every now and then. I can't wait for you guys to continue your series of score-based episodes as I have so much to say on uh, television alone. And in case no one said it to you, thank you for all the time, effort, editing, and patience. We all love your shows, but we also know you have lives, so when you put out an episode every week, there's an extra added appreciation knowing you're taking time out of your days to entertain us. Thank you. Sincerely, Jose A. Rivera. And I just have to say, no, thank you. Thank you for an awesome email. Thank you for taking the time to write us, and uh, thank you for listening. We really yes, appreciate-
2: thank you for the very kind words. And- being the only one probably ever in my life that referred to anything as I i have said as sage-like so uh, <laughs> kind of uncomfortable with that. that it's like you said, it adds a new era, a level of responsibility to this it's not just a show it's a movement and not a that foul kind of movement. movement yeah, I was
1: about to say, not that kind of movement <laughs> hey, wait a minute Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, And also, the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.